welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Let me pray for us as we begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Lord, we come to a hard passage this morning. We give you thanks for your word. Pray that you would inspire our hearts with all the things that we bring to you this morning as we come and offer you our praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, over the last several weeks... Uh, we've been in a series in the book of Ephesians. That's what's been part of our lectionary on Sundays. And uh, a few weeks ago, Chip began chapter 5, and which talked about uh, making this conscious, uh, as Chip said, conscious, albeit difficult, break from our past uh, to the new life that we have in Jesus Christ, becoming imitators of God. And then last week, Father Ryan encouraged us to put away idols as children of light, And to walk in a way that displays the glory of God. And then as we move along in chapter 5, St. Paul encourages Christians not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we need God's filling to, to live this new life in Christ. One arena that we live out the filling of the Spirit is in the household. Um, So he focuses in on households as this primary place in which the love of Jesus is showcased, practiced, and lived out. Now, if you're here and you're not married, St. Paul would tell you in in 1 Corinthians 7, great, stay that way. (laughs) And and he says, you know, being single, it's a good and it's a valid station of life to live out the, the life of Jesus Christ from. In singleness, you have the opportunity to have a single minded devotion to Jesus Christ, which the married can't always have. And if you're married, your household, uh, this morning and, and always, if you're married, your household is to be a place from which outsiders can see a glimpse of the mystery of how Jesus Christ loves the church and how he's given himself for her. Several years ago, I had an experience that taught me something about what this looks like in a marriage. Ashley and I had been visiting somebody in an Alzheimer care facility. And as we were sitting there in the facility, I looked across the room and I saw this elderly man dressed up in a really nice suit and he was holding this bouquet of flowers. And a nurse approached him with a female patient and it didn't take too long to figure out this was his wife. And so he stood up and he handed his wife the flowers. They hugged one another and they sat there on the bench just chatting with one another for a long time, holding hands. It was so sweet to watch. And I can't imagine for that man how, how the heartbreak and the joy are coexisting in his soul as he knows the condition of his wife's going to deteriorate. And still, he makes it a point to regularly get dressed up and to come and see his wife for a date. I'm sure in their years of marriage together, if they were to look back, 
you could see arguments, you could see disagreements, sharp words, harsh words, moments of anger, sleepless nights raising children, chaotic schedules, balancing work. And then when your children get older, the, the children's schedules, and all the other things that make life feel upended at times. And yet, none of that mattered at this point. One thing that I kept coming back to as I watched them is what kind of husband he must have been in in the years preparing him for this season with his wife having Alzheimer's. You don't go from somebody being domineering and chauvinistic and selfish to becoming this kind of person overnight. You have to work at that kind of servanthood for years. And it showed me a lot about the way that Jesus loves and cherishes his bride. And it reminds me that the Christian household needs to be a place where Jesus' love is practiced. It has to be lived out in the household first. And it takes being filled with the Spirit to do that. If Jesus' self-sacrificial, cruciform love is practiced at home, then it overflows beyond the home, into the local church, into the communities, the neighborhoods where you live. What's at stake is not the health of a society by traditional family structures. That's not what's at stake. What's at stake is how people experience the love and the grace of Jesus Christ in a fallen world through the church of Christ. And and there's this interwoven tapestry in the church of diverse households and peoples in all kinds of stations of life practicing this together. So we're going to look first at how mutual self-sacrificial love binds up this whole passage. And then second, we're going to look at some ways in which those who are within the Christian household can cultivate that kind of love. First, we're going to look at what's called mutual submission. The way that Jesus gave himself up for the church, for us, is the framework that the whole household takes. This what we might call a household code uh, as, as the binding principle for those who are in Christ. This is how we began chapter 5 as well. And if you're married this morning, this passage encourages you to make your home a space of self-sacrificial love where Christ's love is evident. If you're single, while some of the household codes, you may hear this and go, this doesn't apply to me, it feels extraneous. Um, it is helpful to you actually because it shows a particular manner of living out this same kind of self-sacrificial love that you're called to in living your own station of life where you're at. Marriage is a calling for some, not for all. That's important. Uh, because it can often feel like I'm not complete unless I'm married. That's not the Bible's view. In your singleness, you too can show Christ's self-sacrificial love to other people in other ways. Um, those who you live with, those who are uh, outside um, in your neighborhoods, however you define it, this broader community of faith. This is the very beauty behind, uh, in the history of the church, when you look at communal monasticism, so monks throughout history and intentional community, there's a real beauty to that. And one of the things that I mourn in the Protestant Reformation is the way that they've put aside monasticism. But I've been encouraged to see in the last several hundred years how Anglicans have readopted older uh, monastic orders. And particularly, I'm excited about the Benedictine. Um, and, and those kinds of monastic communities 
what they do is it reminds us that there is a great value uh, to the single life. And it reminds us that intentionality is important. We have to have uh, intentionality with regards to self-sacrificial love in community. Our whole passage this morning is bounded by the idea of mutual submission in community. And here, I want to get just a little bit technical for a second. When, you, when the New Testament was written, punctuation didn't exist. Right? And, and when they were writing and when they were copying the manuscripts, where there was a paragraph or a sentence or even where a word broke before the next one or after the last one, uh, those are all a matter of interpretation. If you look at you know, ancient manuscripts of Greek, uh, it's all capital letters just running the whole line. There's no punctuation, no sense breaks, uh, not until later manuscripts. So one of the results of that is that when we translate the scriptures, the people who are doing the translating are the ones who have to interpret where the sense breaks are based on grammar and context. And in our modern English translations, you'll see sometimes interpreters include verse 21 in the paragraph that begins above it, uh, with verse 18 being filled with the Spirit. And so they separate it from the household code. Some of your English Bible translations, um, which is why we read out of the newer NIV today, some of your English Bible translations, like the newer NIV, the NRSV, they'll see verse 21 as beginning a new paragraph that includes the household codes. So I take the latter view. I think it begins this new paragraph with the household codes. One of the reasons I say that is that if you look at verse 22, and Ashley knows I hate to say it in the Greek, but uh, I'm going to this morning. If you look at the Greek of verse 22, there's actually no verb in it. The only reason why we include the word submit is it wouldn't make sense. Uh, but it, what it really says is, wives to their own husbands as to the Lord. What is he talking about? He is talking about submission. How do you know that? Verse 21 began the thought. So, verse 21 begins the paragraph. And that's why we put the word submission into verse 22 in English to make it clear what he's actually talking about. It relies on verse 21. So, to simplify that a bit. Let me simplify that. I think mutual submission is undergirding the self-sacrificial love of the Christian household. Both to men and to women. And that is the lens by which we need to understand the rest of what St. Paul is saying in this passage. In seminary language, uh, you know, you go to seminary and pay lots of money to use big terms. We call that egalitarianism. Um, And so this is the egalitarian view this morning. St. Paul in verse 21, he tells Christ followers to submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus Christ. Which is a marked break from the way that pagans would arrange their household. If you go back to Aristotle, uh, only the father of the household is actually addressed as a moral agent. And everybody else needs to be ruled by the male. And that's because in pagan patriarchy, women are essentially inferior to men. They're more prone to error, and thus they're supposed to be permanently ruled by their husbands. That's pagan patriarchy. Um, That's not the way of Jesus. And Paul sets out to turn the household code on its head. So what he does is he uses the pagan framework of the household code, but then he inverts the contents of it. Rather than one-sided submission, monarchical domination, he's encouraging women as free agents to submit themselves to their own husbands and encouraging husbands to take the lead in showing what Jesus' love looks like. 
So if you want to take the lead in anything, it's to show self-sacrificial love. As a small example, a very small example, I have a honeydew list. uh, And there are many others who have a honeydew list as well. Uh, There are things that Ashley's asked me to do to improve the life of our home. Uh, and the value of it. And these items are ranked in importance. (laughs) And there are also priorities that I have as a person and things that I want to do in my own life. But out of reverence for Christ, I make it a point to set myself and my priorities under my wife and her priorities at times in order to love and to cherish her, to show her what Jesus' love looks like. Right? That's a small thing. That's... Uh, But here's the thing is, if we're faithful in small things, we'll be faithful in bigger things. And there are times where she does the same thing for me. It goes both ways. The key here is mutual submission. It's entered into willingly by both the husband and the wife retaining their differences as wife and mother or of husband and father in complete harmony without creating hierarchy based on somebody's being male or female. And while Christian marriage should show us a glimpse of uh, the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. It's not totally a one-to-one equivalent. I like the way uh, Pope John Paul II says this, and he talks, he frames the discussion about this in his apostolic letter back in 1988 uh, about the dignity of women. Here, Here's the long quote from Pope John Paul II. He says, in in marital love, there is a fundamental affirmation of the woman as a person. This affirmation makes it possible for the female personality to develop fully and to be enriched. This is precisely the way Christ acts as the bridegroom of the church. He desires that she be in splendor without spot or wrinkle. The author of the letter to the Ephesians sees no contradiction between an exhortation formulated in this way and the words... Wives, be subject to your own husbands to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. The author knows that this way of speaking, so profoundly rooted in the customs and religious tradition of the time, is to be understood and carried out in a new way, as a mutual subjection out of reverence for Christ. This is especially true because the husband is called the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is so in order to give himself up for her. And giving himself up for her means giving even his own life. However, whereas in the relationship between Christ and the church, the subjection is only on the part of the church. In the relationship between husband and wife, the subjection is not one-sided, but mutual. It takes the Holy Spirit's power. It takes filling with the Spirit to live out that kind of sacrificial, cruciform love that undergirds the life of the Christian household. And now that we've looked at the character of the kind of love that we're to have and mutual submission, let's look briefly at how that kind of love can be cultivated. So, we should first know the needs of, our, uh, of the heartfelt desires of the other person. That's the first thing. The first way that we live and cultivate this kind of love is knowing the needs and the heartfelt desires of the other person and how our actions affect their lives. Amidst our busyness, are we carving out time to listen to each other? What are the things that bring somebody else joy 
or the things that cause them anxiety. When they talk, what are the things that they're saying that clue us into what, uh, what is the unique God-given parts of their story so that we can encourage them in those things? How do they leave the conversation feeling heard, felt listened to, and known, and valued, and cherished? We make our household into a place where Jesus' love is known when we begin to listen and to learn the heartfelt needs and desires of the other in the household. That's the first way to cultivate mutual submission. The second way that Jesus' love is cultivated and known in our households is when we use our unique position with our spouse in order to build them up in sacrificial love. There's, there's nothing inherently male or female about the duties that are carried out uh, in much of household life. Um, you know, or even who needs to make more income. There's nothing inherently male or female about those things. Every household is unique. You can see all kinds of households in this area. Um, and whatever your unique circumstance, be in agreement on it. Create space as a household to go through your seasons of life with intention. Consider the shape of discipleship in your household. Give time and prayerful consideration to what daily formation looks like and how it impacts the larger decisions that you're making. Think about how you're hospitable with outsiders, your neighbors. If you're married, then husbands, care that your wife is healthy and loved and flourishing as her own person in her relationship with Jesus, just as you do for yourself and wives. Care about how what you do and say impacts the well-being of your husband and his relationship with Jesus, just as you do for yourself. Jesus' love is known in our households when we use our unique position as with our spouse to build them up in the self-sacrificial love of Jesus. The household is the most vulnerable place of love and mutual submission. It's where we grow in health in our relationships with Jesus. The outcome of the healthy Christian marriage is a church community filled with households that practice self-sacrificial love, where people feel safe to be honest with one another about the fears that they have, about the failures they're experiencing, and where broken people are being refashioned by God's grace into the image and likeness of Christ, their head. So our submission to Christ should overflow in our desire to see those around us flourish as individuals in Christ and as part of the body of Christ. If you're, single this, um, if you're single, this can be found in the household which God's placed you and the church family into which God's placed you. If you're married, God's given you a unique calling in life out of which to live out this love towards another person. Remember that your home is a platform to showcase the love that Jesus has for his church. Just like the man who visited his wife in the Alzheimer care facility, that love takes time and years of practice. So invest now, intentionally, in the one with whom God's united you, and use your unique relationship to build them up in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Over time, God will fashion our households and this church into a place where self-sacrificial love is known and it's the very thing that characterizes our community. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, 
You set the solitary in families. We commend your continual care the homes in which your people dwell. Put, put far from them every root of bitterness, the desire of vain glory, and the pride of life. Fill them with faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, and true godliness. Knit together in constant affection those who in holy matrimony have been made one flesh. Turn the hearts of parents to their children, and the hearts of children to their parents. And so enkindle fervent charity among us all, that we may evermore be joined to one another with the bonds of loving kindness through Jesus Christ our Lord. 